You're listening to the Brookside Community Church Sermon Podcast. We are a progressive and inclusive community of faith in the heart of Morris County, New Jersey, reminding everyone that they are the beloved child of God. Visit us online at brooksidechurch.org. Reading from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. She didn't know it was valuable. I mean, she knew she was being destructive. Destruction can be a lot of fun, you know, especially when you're an infant and you're just beginning to learn the power you possess in your hands. My daughter, Joey, had only just learned to throw things. You know, I had encouraged that. But I certainly didn't mean for her to throw that willow tree figurine my sister Becky had given me. These things, if you have not seen them, they're these beautiful handcrafted porcelain depictions of relationships. This one was of a brother and a sister sitting together. It was one of my prized possessions. But she didn't know it was valuable. She just knew she would get a thrill out of throwing it. She knew she was being destructive, but she didn't understand what she was destroying. She didn't understand how could she that in her hands was a representation, an image of something special, a special bond between my sister and me. And now here they are on my desk at home, headless porcelain siblings. The creation story in Genesis, it reads like an ancient poetic appeal aimed to remind us of what's sacred and valuable. And like the rest of creation, the creator in Genesis declared human beings good. Tov in Hebrew. Not just good, but very good, actually. Tov meod. This sacred story about how the cosmos came into being, it says that humans were made in the image of God. And it suggests that the people next to you, you can look around, the people next to you, regardless of where they're from, or what language they speak, 
what amount of money they make, the color of their skin, their sexual orientation, their preferred gender expression, or any other characteristic we might use to judge their worth. To God, they are very good. Tov meod. Even more, they're bearers of the image of God. For some reason, though, this is hard for us to remember. We get so caught up with our own customs or cultures or understanding of the world that we're a lot like my daughter. We find it easy to be destructive. We find ourselves destroying things that we even know are deeply valuable to God. Things that we know are made in God's image, we forget in a moment of thrill. Sometimes it's easy for us to be destructive. There's this ancient custom in communities that you, the ancient, ancient custom that communities used to practice called stoning. You might even say stoning was a religious practice. One way of reading history, the history of religion, is to see that religion is a story of shifting pronouncements or rationales about who we can stone. What portion of our communities are we justified in destroying or who has God commanded us to destroy even? In the Hebrew scriptures, stoning, this act of executing or causing death by throwing stones, it was even required for crimes like murder, idolatry, blasphemy, or actions that defied sexual or ceremonial norms. When you move to the New Testament, the Gospel of John, we have the story of a woman who's caught in adultery, being chased by a crowd that was aimed at stoning her. And the story reports that they came to Jesus only to hear Jesus echo that phrase. You've probably heard it. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. But then, as the story goes, after Jesus' crucifixion, during the early days of the church, when it had been decided that the followers of Jesus were too radical and needed to be executed, stoning then became the preferred method. Remember, if you will, the story of the execution of Stephen the martyr. His accusers dragged him out of the city, had their leader stand by and hold their coats. By the way, that's an important detail. While Stephen was stoned to death. Stephen was the first deacon, by the way. And later we'll learn that that same leader would be blinded by a light and have a conversion experience. And a voice from heaven came out and spoke to him and said, Why are you persecuting me? And he realized in a moment, in that moment, just as he thought he was acting out of faithfulness to his religion by stoning others, what he was actually doing was destroying the lives of those who were made in the image of God. He was destroying God images. And the story, if you didn't already know, is the conversion story of the Apostle Paul. You might say the Apostle Paul's conversion story was that of a stone thrower who became a stone catcher. Brian Stevenson, the author of Just Mercy and the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, he's made it his life work to represent men on death row, mostly black men. And he often tells that story from the Gospel of John about the woman who was caught in adultery. He sees himself as someone trying faithfully to follow the example of Jesus. The world throws stones, but Stevenson does all that he can to keep those stones from hitting their target. An elderly woman, he says, once called him a stone catcher. And that 
was a name that he would continue to embrace for himself. This is what he said. There's no such thing as being a Christian and not being a stone catcher. But it's exhausting work. You're not going to catch them all and it hurts. And if it doesn't make you sad to have to do that, then you don't understand what it means to be engaged in the acts of faith. But if you have the right relationship to it, it's less of a burden. Finally, it becomes a blessing. It makes you feel stronger. Like the Apostle Paul, I believe God is calling us to some kind of conversion. In a world that uses religion to justify violence and exclusion, we're being called to open our arms and treat every human being as bearers of the image of God. And maybe we have never ourselves been the ones to throw stones. Maybe, if you're lucky. But we also can't just stand by and hold the coats of others or watch others while they do the stone throwing in our name. To be a community that faithfully follows Jesus, I believe we're called to follow people, to join people like Brian Stevenson, dedicate our lives to being stone catchers. And that begins with the confession that all human beings are bearers of the image of God. Certainly if I had seen my daughter getting ready to throw my porcelain sculpture, I would have caught her. When we see something valuable to God being destroyed, maybe we need to be people who are willing to put our bodies in the way to protect it. This means that we have to cease being stone throwers or even coat holders and begin offering our lives to protect what is valuable to God. Sometimes this means that we even need to let our religion or our language become something new. It's essential that we have to always remember what's valuable to God. We are all God images, regardless of the language that we use or the gender categories that we choose or the roles that we assign to ourselves or each other. So rather than shrink back from what might seem a complicated topic, Now might be a good time to talk about what informs our understanding of gender and sexuality. The Bible and religion are certainly one source, but it's not the only source that shapes how we understand the world. Our understanding of the world is also shaped by our culture, our language, our science, and our education, by our experience of ourselves. And when we begin to look at the world and examine what is there, we find that The reality of the world doesn't always fit the information we've been given or the language that we've been taught to use. Some people would read the passage that we just heard from Genesis not as an exclamation of all creation being good, tov, or human beings being very good, tov meod, or an expression that human beings are made in the image of God, but that that single phrase that says, God made them male and female, rather than being a phrase that says that no matter what gender you are, you are made in God's image, they imagine that it says that God only made two categories. But when we start to really learn the way that the world works, you realize that doesn't fit. Doesn't fit at all. For instance, there are a number of worms, fish, snails, and other animals that, you know, the gender binary language of male and female just doesn't fit. It just doesn't. 
And while for, it's for different reasons, when you really start to look at it, human beings don't fit nicely into binary gender categories of male or female either. So forgive me for a moment if I sound like an episode of Bill Nye, the science guy. By the way, he has an episode on this. You're welcome to look it up. It's interesting that I would even say that some Christians would turn me off because now I've said that you should pay attention to what science says. But anyway, I think it's important since our churches are the primary places where so much damage has been done. We need to sometimes just look at the world and reflect on it before we make our decisions about what this Bible passage might say. Many of us have grown up in a world that teaches us to think that sex and gender are just two words that roughly describe the same thing. But we need clarity of language. And the discussion then usually begins if you would break it down into four basic categories of biological sex, gender identity, gender expression, and sexual attraction. And despite most of, uh, what most of us have been taught to believe most of our lives, these four categories don't always line up. If you were in high school, then you would get this, I assume, I would hope, at some point in your life. This difference, but I, I'll go through it again. There's biological sex, and then there's gender identity. Then there's gender expression. And then there's sexual orientation. So there are four different categories here that I want to break apart for you. Biological sex exists on a spectrum, not just male or female. It includes genitals, chromosomes, gonads, hormones, and they all play a role in helping shape what your biological sex will be. And while most of us fit into the male or category, uh, male or female category, not all of us do. Actually, about one in a hundred people who are born may actually fall between somehow. One in a hundred. Some studies actually even say it's close to five in 100, and if you want to know the difference, sometimes doctors decide what category you go in, even though they know that there is some confusion there. One to five in a hundred. Now just for comparison, how many people do you think there are that were born with red hair? Less than 2% of the human population has red hair. About the same population here. People who biologically, it's not easy to determine what their born sex is. That's biological sex. Gender identity is something different. It's actually a deeply felt sense of being either a man or a woman, or maybe even a gender that's both, fluid or neither. Cisgender is a term that people like me use to identify ourselves with the sex that we were assigned at birth. But there are also people who have a very strong sense that they cannot identify with that sex. Those people, people are people that we would na name as transgender or even genderqueer. That's gender identity. Gender expression then is something even more different. And gender expression relates to the way that our gender identities have been expressed, like through clothing or color or behavior or language or some kind of outward sign. You know, the, the pink or blue, right? That's not something that a baby chooses. And in fact, actually, if you choose a different culture to live in, you would see that gender is expressed differently in different cultures. These attributes, however they're, however they're seen, they're labeled as masculine or feminine, and it's not consistent throughout the world. 
So biological sex, it's not binary, it's on a spectrum. Gender identity is a choice that we make. Sometimes it's not even a choice, it's something deep inside of us. And then gender expression is how we decide to express them. So once you know that gender is not binary, and then we have to find some, then we find that what we normally talk about is romantic or sexual attraction, those things that human beings experience in our relationship with each other, that's far more complicated than traditional husband and wife, that, that model that we've been taught to think about. So what does all this mean theologically? Well, first of all, just let me tell you, if this is the first time you've ever heard this, we're in trouble. And if it's not, and you would like to go back and study it a little bit, I'll just let you know that National Geographic, uh, this is how far we've come in our culture, last year in January had a whole magazine on it with lots of stories of people and scientists and lots of data. You can go back and look it up. There, even though National Geographic in some ways was a little bit behind in the scientific research, it's a pretty good starting point. I ordered a couple of copies. We'll have it in the office. And to make it even better, Katie Couric uh, was hired by National Geographic to put it on DVD because they would know this story is so important that many people are not going to read it. You can watch it. So maybe someday we'll have a viewing party. If you want to check them out, I have two copies. So come by the office and watch it or read it for yourself. But what does all this mean theologically? Well, it means that the world doesn't always fit the categories that our language or even our religions have taught us to use. And when we spend time rethinking these things, hopefully we get a renewed sense of what's valuable. We wake up to realize that far too many people who have for far too long been left out or excluded, excluded at best, or persecuted at worst by religious communities who refuse to address bad theology and misuse sacred texts, we see these passages like beautiful ones from Genesis 1 that at their core they identify every human being. Those passages can be used to turn into a tool for stone throwing. What does that mean for us? Those of us who are committed to living out our faith in a way that declares all human beings are made in the image of God. What are we supposed to do? Well, it means that we have to become stone catchers. It means that we must constantly and consistently affirm the dignity of all human beings. Regardless of what their biological sex characteristic looks like. Or what gender identity they feel deep inside. Or what gender expression they feel most comfortable with or what sexual orientation that they have. For us at Brookside, we've already identified ourselves as open and affirming, as a congregation. So, so long as there are people in our community looking for a safe place to connect with God, then we have a responsibility to try to provide a kind of space where they would feel welcome. It means we have to wrestle with topics like this over and over. We have to be willing to learn new languages, to meet new people, to explore new ways of thinking about the world. We all need to work out our understanding of the world and ourselves and the expectations that we have for each other. So I'm going to ask you to do something. There's only a few of us, but grab the hand of the person next to you. We need to create a space where anyone in our community could come and feel welcome 
And maybe others don't realize what's so valuable to God, but we do. Maybe people don't realize how destructive their language or their theology can be, do, can be but we do now. So now, what you hold in your hand is an image of God. And I don't believe that too many of us here at Brookside are stone throwers. But maybe too many of us have stood on the sidelines like Paul, watching those that God loves be on the receiving end of exclusion or even deadly violence. Maybe we've just been trying not to get caught up in the crossfire. But here's how I believe the gospel is challenging us today. If we really believe that the people that are in our hands are people who have been made in the image of God, then the gospel is calling us today, Brookside Church, to become a congregation of stone catchers. People who are educated and ready to act to transform the world into a place where everyone can hold hands, where everyone is welcome, no matter your sexual orientation, your gender identity, or your gender expression. Let's be that. Amen? Amen.